quick introductions. Uh, so here's what we want to know, who you are and what you do. And I'll start. My name is Kevin, and uh, I am on staff here at New Community. And I'm John, and I'm on staff at Mosaic Fellowship, founding pastor. Um, my name is Mark Carroll, and I have the privilege of working for kind of this magical organization called Cup of Cool Water. I'm Lauren Goldblum, and I um, am part of Kaleo Church, and um, I kind of head up our partnership with Family Promise, which we do together with New Community. My name is Russ Davis, and I work at New Community as well. Um, we have a, a host of questions that we're preparing to lob their way, and a limited time to do that, and so we'll jump right in. Uh, there's going to be a text on the screen. It's a little quote uh, that I recently found. We've been looking at Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah up there, 29. Jeremiah 29. It's a new, new text that was added to the scriptures. Apologize for that. But anyhow, the text in Jeremiah 29 that's calling us to shalom, it calls for a movement away from the privatistness of the church and into the world, into the public space to address issues affecting people, especially those on the margins, those that suffer from political, social, and cultural insecurity and discrimination. Margins are the space of God's visitation, for God is discernible and present in the margins. So the question is this, what from your perspective are the issues that are affecting people, especially those in the margins? I think what we have seen in the few years we've been down here uh, are several issues. One has to do with the former felon population. There's a high incidence of former felons living in the downtown core, and you don't know how hard it is to get a job until you've been a felon. And it's just un or, or housing, exactly, both. It's just unbelievably difficult. So uh, the other would be the disjointedness of the uh, agencies that serve the poor. Uh, they, they rarely work together, and they often have competing desires in terms of what they're requiring of people. So it's really very difficult to get a holistic approach uh, to helping people. Um, lack of healthy relationships. Mm. Right, we have systems issues like John, and we can go on all kinds of systems issues. Um, but for me, I think the, the biggest thing is... Um, affecting people is how I see people and the fact that um, I'm not willing to step into a healthy relationship with someone. So I think the biggest thing that people need is healthy relationships. Still a little background. Family Promise is a national organization and there are Spokane uh, chapters who we work with. And so they are um, specifically uh, working with families experiencing homelessness. So um, they're one of the few that helps families stay together while they're homeless. So in addressing those issues of homelessness um, for families, what we're up against is just very limited uh, affordable housing. There's just a really um, low vacancy rate in Spokane. If, if you were homeless tomorrow, it'd be really hard just to, to find a place, especially if you add on bad credit and um, you know a few hiccups that you've had in your life. And then one of the other main causes of homelessness for families that we might not be aware of is just um, health insurance coverage. Um, there are so many families that we've met that um, they're homeless because, you know, they got sick, and then they couldn't go to work. And then, you know, 
things just escalate from there. Um, so maybe that's not something we talk about at church, but it's a big deal and it affects, affects our neighbors and our families that they don't have coverage and mm-hmm. end up... There's a lot of governance issues, societal issues, um, chemical dependency is a big one, and getting uh, people to have immediate support for that, not like three months later after 10 assessments, but instant uh, support. Uh, there's a, a host of other ones, but as we as a community is be, are thinking about it, we, we need to recognize it's much broader, these kind of issues for our neighbors than just simple, simple answers. Um, I'll go again here with Mark. Mark, um, you and I have gotten together a lot and talked about um, you've been downtown for 20 plus years, serving among a particular population, uh, specifically youth without homes. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult for us to put names and faces to the situation or to our neighborhood. Uh, Can you maybe do that a little bit? Put a name or a face uh, to people who you're working with on a regular basis? Um, yeah, they gave me this question. I'm like, which one do I share? Mm-hmm. Um, in speaking to a group like this, one of the first things I talk about is I ask the question, when you think of homelessness, what images come to mind? So a couple of cool water walks alongside youth who are homeless on their journey of reconciliation with, with themselves, with God and society. And we do that through developing healthy relationships and services. So I often ask, when you think of homelessness, what images come to mind, and people are always like, well, they're dirty, and they're smelly, um, they're scary, they're drug addicted, um, and I go, yeah, and then we call them a human being, a homeless person, a homeless adult, a homeless youth, um, so we don't say that we work with homeless youth, we work with youth who happen to be homeless, who happen to smell bad, who happen to be drug addicted, we believe that in Genesis 1, 27, um, it says that we were all created in his image. And in verse 31, he goes on to say that God looked at all that he created. And I think, and I have in my mind, that he sighed, whew, this is very good. Mm. So we, first of all, we look at people first, right? Because they are, every single one of us has been created in his image good. And if that's true, then we automatically deserve something, dignity, honor, respect, and love. So that's our premise, is that we work with people first, and then they happen to smell bad. So, for example, kids come in um, who are homeless. They're sleeping underneath the bridges. We had one young man, um, Hank, not his real name. He would come in. um, He's homeless. He's gay, he's a drag queen, Um, and he would ask, where was God when I was locked in my room? Where was God when I was hungry? Where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when I was being raped? So we're talking about people who have experienced these horrific events. I ask, we go visit kids in jail, and I would we used to not be able to go on the, the cell blocks. We were in the, the room, glass between us, and we were talking on this really gross phone. Um, <laughs> that you're like, I think I'm going to get sick just from this phone, right? I better go get in a tetanus shot or something, right? You know? And um, this kid, this young man, goes, 
Mark, do you ever feel like that life is just a dream and you're waiting to wake up? James Gilligan says that the young man feels dead, and so he does things to help himself feel alive. So we work with kids who feel dead and do things to feel alive. And they ask great questions like, where was God? When? Right? So we work with kids who are really honest, who are really real. And that's what they want from us, to be real Absolutely. and honest and just to sit there while they're doing that. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, so I hear a story like that, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed just thinking about, man, how do I take some first steps uh, to truly living here uh, in this area and um, in being present with my neighbors? So, John, as somebody who has been kind of in the downtown corridor, has given a lot of life to um, working with and doing ministry here in this place, what would you have wished somebody told you 10 years ago uh, or maybe before you uh, kind of gave of yourself in this way? I wish they'd told me what a blessing it is to live uh, and work among the poor. I, uh, to my shame, uh, when I, we started ministry down here, uh, was all about what I thought I had to give to the poor. And through the years, I've learned that actually uh, you receive more from the poor when you minister among them than you give. They have survived things I never could have survived. They have uh, grown through things I would have probably left my faith behind somewhere on the journey. And just to see the perseverance and the compassion and the uh, even gentleness among many of the poor uh, has awakened something in me that I don't think I knew existed before. The other, the other thing I would say that uh, I was unprepared for was how difficult it is to bridge the socioeconomic divide. I think in our culture, that divide is much larger than the racial divide, as big as it may be. I see it hard, it's more difficult for me, it's more difficult for the poor, it's more difficult for middle class uh, Americans to bridge that divide in a relational way, like Mark was saying. It's one thing to you know, go do a one-off one sort of uh, serve thing. It's another thing to develop real friendships that cause you to embrace somebody when you see them, not think about the smell or the, or the other issues that you may wonder about, but because they're brothers and sisters and, it, and, and you've been changed. So I think this is the challenge uh, that we still as the middle-class American church face is really getting past that divide. Yeah, I think with that comes uh, the tension of, um, there's that Korean proverb, you've heard me say it before, those of you in the community, that arms tend to bend inward, right? We naturally are inclined to give attention to our personal needs. And so a lot of times what you're describing if I'm not close to someone in that kind of situation, I can ignore it, turn a blind eye to it, act like it doesn't exist, be okay with my current state, knowing that other people might exist in a different state than I am, but because I don't know them, it doesn't matter. So, Lauren, as you're thinking about these things, um, I know Shalom 
speaks a lot to this idea of flourishing that, that um, Shalom is all about that in Jeremiah 29 and Kaleo digs into that idea on a consistent basis. So what would it look like for the people that we've just been describing? What would it look like for our neighbors, those that are a part of Family Promise, to, to be flourishing? Describe maybe what that might look like. So maybe if you take a picture of a child and you imagine what does it look like for a child to flourish? Because you can think about a, a kid, okay? They're taken care of. What does that look like? They have a family where they're cared for and known and loved. They have clothes. They have food. They have, um, they're provided for their medical needs. Um, and then they're within a broader, you know, not just their family, but a broader system of, or community. And all of our neighbors are children of God. And um, so how do, we, how do we think about about them flourishing in that same way? How do we see the person that maybe we're afraid of or maybe we don't know what to do with the smell and we can then see them as a child? Um, I'm an adoptive uh, and foster parent, and so thinking about kids being in families is close to my heart. Um, but I also think about that in the terms of the, um, the widows that live on my corner. And then, I, of course, with Family Promise, I think about... Um, the homeless families who are really disconnected um, maybe from the broader community. Um, so maybe leaning into what we might, how we might participate in that shalom um, with Family Promise specifically. What I love about that model um, is that it's designed for the church to come around these families. And not just a church, but there are 30 churches in Spokane that are working together to care for families while they're experiencing homelessness, and not just during that time, but before and after. Um, so what if we partnered together? And so um, being participating in that feels a little bit like this, right? Like being with my other brothers and sisters and other neighbors, and then sharing meals with my, um, my neighbors experiencing homelessness. And then around the table, we can see each other as, as neighbors. Um, there are about maybe 2,000 homeless kids in Spokane. So you don't have to look any further than your own school to know that there are kids experiencing homelessness. And, and that kid then represents a family who is, or is just more children um, of God who are waiting to experience that shalom. So. That's awesome. So, um, final question. Lauren just gave us a couple practicals. Are there any other practicals? And feel free, to, again, Lauren, to share. Any practical um, way, tangible way, that we as communities, as individuals, could participate uh, in loving our neighbors well? Part of the, the challenge, again, we talked about not knowing them at times, right? But part of the challenge is um, my 9 to 5 or your 9 to 5 is not with Mark hanging out with kids on the street all the time. Um, and so your 9 to 5 looks quite different. Uh, maybe you're in school. Maybe uh, you head off to work in the morning. Maybe you drive outside of the city to uh, participate in work. So how do we engage in a, in a practical way? Um, so on a family promise, and there's, there's just so many amazing opportunities uh, to participate. 
Um, they have a, we have a new 24-7 um, open doors shelter, which is a huge need in Spokane. It's pretty much full right now. Um, it's, I think, 65 beds. Um, and so there's opportunities there, and then there's opportunities within the Bridges program. Um, so I'd be happy to talk to you about just specific little ways you can get involved. Um, but what that, what that does for, I think for me and what I've heard from other volunteers is to help us to have those eyes to see, oh, these are just, these are just my neighbors. These are just people like me who, you know, hit a hiccup. And then, and so then if I have those eyes, then I can walk into my own neighborhood and, and be aware when I, when I hear that someone is hitting a hard time or is experiencing homelessness or has come out of, um, you know, being a refugee or whatever it is that is right, right in my backyard. Um, so, and then there's also this piece of listening to who, who am I and who was I created to be and who are the gifts that I have and listening to what God says through just knowing my own story and seeing how that story intersects with the story of God around me. Um, so, for example, I've got, you know, a beautiful volunteer out here who is an amazing baker. So we have a, had a woman, um, a young lady, a 16-year-old, who was homeless with her family and, um, you know, found herself pregnant. And so my friend says, well, let me bake the cake for the baby shower that we can throw her, you know. Um, and then there are others of us. I mean, I've got little kids, three-year-olds, coming and playing with kids. And I see them, like, I see them seeing Christ in the other. And then I've got, um, you know, an older woman just um, made a bunch of blankets that we handed out to families who were so blessed by that. So listening to the Spirit of God in your neighborhood, where just right where you are, and then also within you, um, what you've already seen God shaping and forming in you, I think you might hear something in that. Um, at Cup of Cool Water, um, there's lots of ways to go practically. We need people to, um, one of the things that we do is we have a job training program at our bicycle shop, which is called Cool Water Bikes, which is actually right across the street. So, and David's here. I'm going to embarrass him now. He's our bike shop manager. He would love to have you volunteer, right? Um, or even at Mosaic's bike shop, which John will talk about, but Cool Water Bikes right across the street. Um, and then... There's also just practical ways that in the general ministry at Cup of Cool Water through um, either outreach or becoming a drop-in volunteer or an outreach volunteer um, or even coming and cleaning the facility because um, we're trying to create, I mean, I don't know about you, but this summer has been like horrific in my house. There's, it's the dustiest summer ever, right? And I don't even like going there because it's just dusty all the time. I think I got to clean it. This is really gross. But I also have a facility that I have to clean too. And so just the fact that you could come and clean what some kids consider their home. We had one young man, young, one young woman, she's kind of a, well, she told some people to, to be more respectful and then she, in her own way. And, um, <laughs> and then she looks at me and she's like, when I was homeless, a cup of cool water was my home. I'm no longer homeless. And Cup of Cool Water is still my home. It's a place where I come to learn about God, to learn about love, and to learn about friendship. And I think that's the home, and that's what Family Promise is doing, I know. They're helping kids learn about God, 
not just kids, but families, learn about God, learn about love, and learn about friendship. And it's beautiful. So, and I love what Lauren said just about how did God make you? Yeah. And then run with it, right? Because how he made you is how you're going to love. So how do I love? Well, I have to look at how he made me and then run with it without fear. Take the next step. I don't know what your next step is, but everybody has one more step to take into relationship with people that are may, you may view as different from you. That may be serving a meal once a month, just a single step like that. Or it may mean that y you need to start mentoring a young person from the street. Or you need to start working with a, a vet who's homeless. So there's a whole spectrum that you can jump into with multiple organizations down here that are bringing Christ to the street. What is your next step? Or will you just be content to stay where you are right now?